Well, I want to invite you to take your Bible this morning to John chapter 10, and uh, we're going to go to John 10 and launch a new series that I've entitled Hijacked. We're going to be taking four different weeks to look at four different topics, and we're going to be looking at rescuing the truth and searching the scriptures to rescue these truths that have been ransacked and hijacked by our society. Now, one of those topics that we're going to start with today is that our society has hijacked truth. What has happened is that all throughout social media, news media, entertainment media, uh, they have taken the topic of truth and they have made ignorant statements like this that says there is no absolute truth. Now, they have now rallied behind this as a contemporary culture and they find it to be very fashionable to claim this false logic of relativism. There is even Friedrich Nietzsche who said there are no eternal facts as there are no absolute truths. And so they're rallying behind this thought because it helps them to feel better about themselves. Now, relativism is the idea that views are relative to differences in perception and consideration. And so what has taken place is that they would say there's no universal objective truth. That's what relativism has said. And they would say, rather, each point of view has its own truth. Now, there are parts where we can buy into that. Some of you are sitting this morning and you are saying, based on your perception and your conclusion, you say, in this pew, this is the most comfortable seat I have sat in in months, right? That's what you're saying. Now, then there's others of you who are saying, ah, how many more minutes do I have to sit in this pew? And that's your mind thought. Now, both probably can be true based on your perception. But we know that there are other things that are true based on facts. So for you to say, the more gummy bears and Swedish fish that I can eat and not brush my teeth will give me healthy gums and healthy teeth. Now, that may be your truth, which is very wrong because factually, they're going to rot and fall out. Now, you may enjoy the process because who doesn't want a good Swedish fish, right? But that's not truth. We teach our kids that as well, teenagers, as they learn the, the rules of the road. They can't say that they're not having to obey or abide by the, the law of the land, the rules of the road, because they're invincible. No, there are facts behind that to say this is true. There are consequences that take place due to the factual truth. It doesn't matter if you don't interpret 70 miles per hour as the speed limit. That's not a change of what is an absolute truth. And so there are a lot of different things that in life we would face with this bombardment of society trying to change what truth is. Now, thankfully, we hold in our hand God's word, which teaches us to think and to go much further beyond ourselves so that we don't get bogged down in a philosophy class this morning. We don't want to, to just look at this thought of truth based in society we want to go much further than that, and we want to understand the scope and sequences of our life and how they develop this cause and effect as pieces of evidence that point to something greater than ourselves in determining what truth really is. So the easy solution would be for us to just kind of sit back, to sit idly by while society intentionally attempts at polluting our churches 
at polluting our homes, at destroying our school systems, at polluting our government officials, whatever it's going to do, we can sit idly by and just hope that we survive until the rapture. Or as the church and as body of believers, we can understand that there is somebody who is hijacking the truth and we must look into God's word so that our mindset is set in the right way. Now, that's why this four-part series is so important to me, is because we're going to be studying topics like today with identity. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to look at purpose, and then worship, true worship, and then Holy Spirit, and looking at how these have been hijacked by people's mentalities, their own perceptions, therefore their own conclusions and assumptions, and we're going to look to God's word to rescue the truth for us and teach us. So the first one, John 10, let's look here in verse number one in our text, John 10, one. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that enters not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up another way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him that the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leadeth them out. And when he put forth his own sheep, he goeth forth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but they will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. Well, this parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. So Jesus said unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and he shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief, on the contrary, cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. This morning, let's dig into this text. Let's see stolen identity as we look to rescue what has been hijacked in our culture. Father, we need your guidance this morning as we study your word together. Give us clarity of thought. Give us an understanding that helps to convict our hearts. Help us to find this refreshment of our identity in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the worship that has directed our attention to you and to you alone. And so with that preparation now, we, we come humbly before you. We come seeking your face. And so lead us in these moments together in Jesus' name. Amen. So in 2017, just under 7% of consumers became victims to stolen identity. Now, this fraud took place, and that was in about 1 out of 15 people. Now, overall, 33% of U.S. adults have experienced identity theft, which is more than twice the global average. One in five victims of identity theft have experienced it more than once. How many of you in here have uh, been a victim to identity theft in one way or another? Okay, several people have done that. And I see, I see it. You're, like, you're just like this. You're like, I don't, I'm not sure if anybody needs to know that, all right? So you're really not sure if that's something to admit publicly. So now we know that that's no fun, and we know that brings a lot of headaches, this stolen identity, this, this fraud that takes place. But church... May we be reminded today that in the culture and society that we live in, 
the world that we're raising our kids and our grandkids in have hijacked the topic of truth. There is a stolen identity. They have taken our direction off of who God is and who we are in Jesus Christ and have put our focus on ourselves and our circumstances. And that's why Jesus, we see him as one of these in tremendous examples of a secure identity. Our eternal truth that has been hijacked by the enemy for centuries has to do with our identity that is found in Jesus Christ, who inhabited both time and space when he was here. And in the first century, it was recognized by all the world through that time since that day to be one of the most loving, powerful, and influential people to have ever walked the earth. Well, his entire life was a vivid illustration of the priority of proper identity. You see, identity always took precedence over instruction. Before Jesus ever preached a sermon, before he called any of his disciples, before he performed his first miracle, before he fulfilled the will of God, before he did any of that, we see taught in the scriptures, in the gospels, a claim to his identity. So we would find here that identity always takes precedence over instruction. Do you remember what happened in John 4, in John, excuse me, in Matthew 3 at the baptism of Jesus Christ? As he came up out of the water of the Jordan River, the eyewitnesses that were surrounded there heard a voice from heaven, Matthew 3, 17 said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So God had declared with this audible blessing of love and acceptance before Jesus ever did anything, he declared the identity of Christ. Now when the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness in order to prepare for his earthly ministry. Now remember, following his baptism, Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness for 40 days. He's going to fast, he's going to pray, but there's a big thing that happens, and that was the enemy showed up, the tempter. And do you realize what the tempter did at right away to Jesus Christ? Matthew chapter 4, verse 3. And when the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the son of God, Verse number six, and saith unto him, if thou be the son of God. We know the devil, Satan, he is so good at planting seeds of doubt. Jesus had just come out of the Jordan River when hearing the voice of God the Father himself saying, this is my beloved son. The enemy shows up with his sly tactics and says, if you're really the son of God, then you can do this. If you're really going to be the son of God, then do this. That's how the enemy works. Well, this morning, I want us to see that his identity guided his actions. Because first of all, we need to remember, don't listen to the enemy's voice. In verse 5 and verse number 8, we're going to look at those in just a moment, but we understand that Satan is not a creator. He does not create. But what does Satan do? He perverts things. And here, Satan is going to be a, a master perverter. He is going to bring perversion into our minds. He's going to try to keep us from becoming who God wants us to be. He causes us to place our identity on other things and on other people. Now, put yourself in this situation. You've heard the voice of the enemy. 
The enemy tries to sneak into your wilderness experience and he tries to plant seeds here that pervert what God has already identified you to be. And so he says, you need to find your identity and your fulfillment in your marriage with your spouse. And you need to find your identity in your children as a mom or as a dad. You need to find your identity in your parents, in your heritage, in your history. He says, you need to find your identity in your career with your workload and your success. He says, you need to find your identity in your pastor, in your church, in your ministry that you do, in your accomplishments through your years of labor for the Lord. Now, remember, as we rattle off all of these things, in our mind, we're thinking, yeah, okay. I mean, there's a part of me that's a part of my wife. We become one, and so I'm kind of identified in that marriage. I'm, I've given, you know, these, these kids, brought these kids into this world, and there's a part of me that is a part of them, so that I can see how there's this attachment of my identity, my parents, my heritage, my history, my story, my career, my workload, my church, my pastor, my ministry, and all that I serve. And all of a sudden, we have begun to, to excuse ourselves to find our identity in so many different things. And we feel very secure in that until it is taken away. And then when those elements are removed in our life, the enemy has said, (laughs) you put your identity in that and now it's gone. What are you going to do? And they become a mess. This past Thursday... um, had the opportunity to make several hospital visits and from room to room and having the conversation and then a lunch appointment, having almost the same exact conversation. Three different people on three different occasions on Thursday said to me, I don't know how I would go through this circumstance without knowing God in my life. That was a clear statement of true identity found in God so that when health is taken away, when a relationship is taken away, when personal accomplishments are taken away, that person's identity is secure because it's in this relationship that they have with God. So that, that helps us when circumstances come our way, when our wilderness experiences happen. The enemy is trying to say for students in here that your identity is in your school. Yeah, so like, yeah, go whatever your mascot is, you know, like that's my identity, Or maybe it's in your report card, your classes. And you're like, yeah, honor roll. That's who I am. I just, there's nothing less than that. That's that's what I accomplish. Um, Maybe it is your friends, your knowledge, your abilities, your talents, and all that you do. You see, what takes place is that our feelings are very powerful communicators. But they are terrible at being reliable sources of truth. Like our feelings can take us on a lot of roller coasters and our emotions are all across the map in different places. But what happens with our feelings and our emotions is that they cause us to bypass logic, to ignore reality, and then to come up with false speculations and assumptions. And that's because we're being governed and led by our emotions and our feelings. And by the way, the enemy perverts that and wants that to be our security, or our foundation. Well, we also see the enemy. He is a distorter. He cannot create, but he will pervert and he will distort. He's a deceiver. He's very good at deceiving. And so he says things like this, uh, you don't matter to anyone. He says, you're worthless 
You know, your sin, you should be ashamed of yourself for a very long time. He says, you deserve to die. You'll never be forgiven. You're really just a failure. You can't help anybody else. You can't even help yourself. Some of you are hearing some of those phrases that the enemy uses as a part of his distortion and his deception, and you're like, ouch, that's what I'm hearing in my life. But then what makes it worse is that not only do we hear it by the enemy, but then we begin to repeat it ourselves. And when we begin to say those very things, then we've lost our concept of our true identity. Like, we've, we are now a victim of stolen identity because the enemy has come in and he has told us all of these distorting, deceiving things and we've bought into it. And we said, yeah, you're right, I, I am worthless. Yeah, you're right, I, I can't help anybody else. I can't even help myself. Yeah, I'm a failure. Yeah, my sin, I'm, I'm so guilty of this. And so we say it over and over and over again. Sometimes it's the last thoughts as we lay our head on our pillow. And sometimes it's the first waking thought of our day. And we're just rehearsing it over and over and over again because we are a victim of stolen identity. John 8, 44 tells us about the devil. There is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. But then we also see that the enemy, when we hear his voice, he is looking to destroy. He just wants to destroy. He wants to destroy our marriages, our families, our testimony, our lives. He wants to destroy our effectiveness for God's glory. He will do anything he can to use his massive army to destroy us. And so he wants to destroy the gospel. He wants to eliminate a gospel-centered life, a gospel-centered church, and so he'll plant deception there and he will, he will plant different problems that cause dissension and disunity to erupt that place. And all of a sudden they've lost focus and target and they're not on mission anymore. Why? Because the enemy is doing what he can to destroy. So church, Christians, we need to not listen to the voice of the enemy. Look at verse number five. Here's how the sheep responded. Jesus says, a stranger will they not follow but they will flee from him for they know not the voice of a stranger. Verse number eight, all that ever came before me, they're just thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. That word here is actually in the Greek, it's the word listen. So it's saying that they did not listen. They did not intently look to see what the content is. And so Christians, when you struggle with your identity in Christ, you just need to start blocking out the strange voices. You need to block out the voice of the enemy who wants to pervert, distort, and destroy you. And so it blocks it out totally and says, I will not hear his voice. I will not follow his leading. And in verse number five, I will flee. I will go in the other direction. But then also we see another instruction here is that we need to follow the voice of the shepherd. In verse 3 and 4, the voice of the shepherd is, is not going to distract us. It is a voice of provision. It's a voice of protection. It is a voice of relationship. It's an intimate voice that rec we recognize right away following the voice of the shepherd. 
we can be guaranteed that the shepherd's not going to distract you with the opinions of other people. How many times do we live our days based on the opinions of other people? Our friends or our enemies or our family or strangers? Like the opinions of other people seem to really play a major part, but the shepherd says, no, don't, don't be bogged down with the opinions of others. Follow my voice. The shepherd's not going to distract us with the struggles of comparison. Now, the struggle of comparison, or really what could be called the sin of comparison, is one that every Christian seems to struggle with all throughout time. We grew up in a time where we began to, we began to compare ourselves among ourselves, and we thought that we were a better church than the one down the road because of this or because of that. Or we looked and compared ourselves with other Christians because they do this or they do that. Well, we must be more spiritual or we must be better. And, and that identity is a wrong place because we're, we're helping ourselves feel better because of our surroundings, because of our comparisons. The shepherd is not going to cause you to struggle with your comparisons. Remember what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 10, 12. He said, for we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. But they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, he says, they're not wise. So let's stop comparing ourselves among ourselves. I was at a funeral on Thursday. Pastor John Richardson preached the gospel at at Mr. Phil Rose's uh, funeral, and uh, just a, a tremendous time of celebrating the life of a man who is, is now in glory, no more suffering and no more pain. But afterwards, Brother Richardson and I were having conversation, and we met up with somebody, and I got to meet them, and, and they were telling me about their church in, in a, a city down south, and they were telling me about their church here in town. And, um, and, and, and any conversation that you're with somebody about another church, you're kind of interested what they're doing, what's going on. And, um, and so he just began to tell us about their celebrations. 900 people have joined since their new pastor has come and now running over 3,000. They're branching off to a satellite church. And, and I'm just smiling. This is not exciting. Yeah, it's really good for you. And uh, just wondering, you know, if we're going to be able to pay off next month's bill to pay off our lobby, you know, and, and uh, wondering what's going to happen come next Sunday. And you know, just smiling with the guy. Hey, that's awesome. All right, got to go. See you later. Come on, Brother Richardson rescue me, all right? And, uh, and you know what I struggled with all weekend was comparing myself among others. It's so easy to do. You wonder, am I leading right? Am I preaching right? Well, what's wrong? Is it the maroon chairs and the blue pews? I mean, what is it, right? And then God reminds you, hey, you had five people put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ two weeks ago two of them sitting back there on the back row, eager to be baptized and to be discipled. It's, it's like God is in the details and, and quit putting your head in the clouds and, and comparing yourself across the street and up the road and wherever else God is at work doing something as well. He's faithfully called us to be faithful to the end. And so we plug away. That's the voice of the enemy saying this, this, and this. The shepherd saying, hey, buddy, listen. I'm going to guide you, and I'm going to provide. So that's the voice of the shepherd in our life. You know what he also will not lead us to do? He doesn't distract us with the hurts and the pains from our past experiences. Because you remember how this whole thing works? 
where Jesus says, just come to me. And he says, I will with open arms embrace you, forgive you, will clean it. And I have died for your sins, past, present, and future. And let's just move on together. He doesn't want us to be bogged down with guilt. But what takes place is we've got known sin in our life that we're just not willing to deal with. And we've got this broken relationship. Jesus has said, let's move past that. Let's get on with the plan and the mission. He doesn't distract us with shame and guilt and insecurities. He doesn't distract us with earning our acceptance to God. Paul wrote this in Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. You need a verse to wrap your identity around in. That's Romans 8.1. Because you can get rid of the guilt, the insecurities, the shame, and all of that from your story. And you can remember that as in Jesus Christ right now, there is no condemnation because of your identity being found in Jesus Christ. Hey, don't let the thief steal your identity. Don't let him whisper crazy things into your mind. Don't let him take ownership in your heart. You kick that voice out and you say, I will follow my great shepherd. Remember what the psalmist wrote? He said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I have nothing to lack because everything I need is found in my shepherd. But then we see in verse three and four here, I love how he says these words. Notice these pronouns, to him the porter openeth and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name and leadeth them out. Verse number four, and when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Everything directing to your shepherd. They belong to the shepherd and there remains a special relationship. In verse number 14, that relationship is more developed. He says, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and I am known of them. Sometimes the voices of culture and society and the world and the enemy are drowning out the voice of our shepherd because we're giving ear to them. We're giving time and allowance to the enemy. And we're filling our minds and our hearts with this garbage. And we begin to believe it about ourselves and recite it and to say it over and over again. So the question we must ask is, who does he say you are? In your handout this morning was the 101 truths about our identity in Christ. It's um, a document that I found on the internet this week and and really, uh, probably maybe two weeks ago, and printed it out and made sure that everybody had one that wants one. It's 101 truths about our identity in Christ. Incredible list. If you got that, uh, bring it back tonight. We might chew on some of this tonight. Now, there's a website here, reasonforhopejesus.com or, or something here, um, or Facebook page. I do not know much about that website or, or anything, actually, other than they put out a really nice document on the identity in Christ. And so if you wander onto that site, um, be careful. Um, I don't know what's on there. It's, it's a Jesus website, but um, the document was what I really wanted to reference uh, for your help. The last thing is that we need to embrace our identity. I've been reading a book. Um, it's called Defined, Who God Says You Are. It's uh, inspired by the, the featured film Overcomer. How many of you seen Overcomer? And so the, the whole theme of Overcomer was about our identity in Christ instead of ourself and 
and, uh, and, and our accomplishments. And so I picked up this book and have been reading through that. And there was a, an illustration that I just wanted to, I put it in my notes so that I could read it. It's introducing one of the chapters. Let me just quote it. It says, reading the first half of Ephesians is like standing on a spiritual high dive. You look out over the wide expanse of God's plan and his eternal purposes. It consumes you. It refreshes and excites you. All these things that you discover about your identity in Christ and your inheritance from the Father. All of this leads us to the fact that you're chosen, accepted, beloved, forgiven, you're sealed, and safe and strengthened. It's abundantly supplied. By the time you reach Ephesians 4, it's as if you've bobbed back up to the surface, taking a deep breath of air. All these wonderful truths that you once seen only from a distance are now all around you. It feels good being here, being held afloat by them, confident in the face of old doubts and fears. It feels like this is where you've always belonged, where you've always known that you should be. So what do you do next then? How do you follow up on this new position where you find yourself? He says, you start swimming. It's really time to get moving. So number three, embrace your identity. Embrace your identity. Ephesians chapter four starts right off by saying, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, urge you, I beg you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Christians, we must walk worthy of the calling by where where we've been called. And so that's a part of saying no to the enemy, follow the shepherd, embrace my identity by constantly evaluating my thinking. In verse number 23 of that chapter, it says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You know the process of when we became a new creation in Jesus Christ, the old things were put off and passed away. We renewed the spirit of our mind and we take on this new creation to follow Jesus Christ. But that renewal is something that is daily. It's so often it is a constant evaluation of my thinking because it doesn't take much to distract our spiritual think tank. It doesn't take a lot to get us off track. We so much wish that we were at a roller coaster at Disney World where we're just locked in. We are not flying off of this rail. We are going from beginning to the end without any problems, hopefully, right? And that is our mission. Unfortunately, the Christian life is not locked in and the cart. It's one where we can easily stray. We get so easily distracted and that's where we have to constantly evaluate our thinking. And then secondly, graciously guide your speaking. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed, come out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, building up, encouraging so that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Remember our series that we started 2019 off with, Live Like Jesus. And living like Jesus means that we speak like Jesus, and that we encourage and we edify, and that we guide and we build up with the words we would say. Are you willing to evaluate your language this past week to say, were the receivers of my words ministered grace by the things that I said? Did the people I interact with and the people that I, I spoke to, were they ministered by grace with my speech? Number three, embrace your identity by humbly eliminating 
you're grieving. And you say, well, I'm not in mourning. I'm not in a, in a moment of grief. But look at verse number 30. Because Paul wrote it this way. He says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Don't sadden the Spirit of God. Don't give mourning, any reason for mourning to the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption. You want to speak about your identity in Christ, you've been sealed until this day of redemption by the work of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is living within you, empowering you, and helping you. He's allowing you to hear the voice of the shepherd. And we need to understand that our actions can grieve the Holy Spirit. When we quench the work of the Holy Spirit and we, we deny it and we turn the other way and we say, yeah, I get what you're directing me to do, but I'm, I'm not interested right now. That's where we find ourselves grieving the Holy Spirit and so humbly eliminate that in your life. And then last, purposely improve your living. Ephesians 5 continues this thought by saying, be therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us and offering a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. And so be followers of God as dear children, walking in love. That's purposely improving your living, embracing your identity. I think for many of us, we would probably sit here right now and we'd say, We've heard plenty of instructions from God. We've, we've, been, we've been saved, um, we've been set apart, and we're ready to serve. And we just, we hear one thing after another. And we hear go, and we hear find, and seek, and do, and fulfill, and don't fear. And all of a sudden, we, we hear all of these things. But let's remember something about our identity. Because before we go and fill our Christian instruction manual with a long to-do list, Remember that the shepherd's voice did not start by saying, go, do, fulfill, don't fear. He said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. You see, Jesus right away said, my sheep hear my voice. I've given myself for the sheep. They know me. And my sheep are a part of me. And so we must live life to the fullest. We can't listen to the enemy's voice. We must sit still, hear the shepherd's voice, and embrace our identity. We cannot let the enemy, the culture, the society around us, hijack our identity. Because they want to tell us that we're worthless and pointless. They want to tell us that we're guilty and sin-ridden. But the truth is, is we stand sealed before God, completely forgiven. And because we've been forgiven, our identity in Christ causes us to live it out. By the way, with your identity in Christ, it doesn't call you to a long to-do list. It calls you to be in Christ and allow him to work in and through you. Too many things with the gospel-centered mentality or a gospel-centered mission the gospel-centered mission says this all directs to Jesus Christ, who he is in my life and what he has done on the cross. It's always directing to that. But those who go contrary to a gospel-centered life and a gospel-centered living is somebody who is saying, the more that I can accomplish, the better I will feel about myself. That's a false identity. So let's not be a victim to stolen identity. 
Let's continue to live out a gospel-centered life that points always to what Jesus Christ has done in and through us. Let's pray.